Here's to your success in property, finance and money management. You're listening to The Long Property Show with your hosts, Daniel Gold and Patrick Lynch. Welcome back to another episode of The Long Property Show. I'm Dan Gold. And I'm Patrick Lynch and you've got it right this time. I got it right this time, yeah. And But you don't want to rock and roll. No, I haven't been a rocker for a long time. I thought I thought we'd rock and roll to get started. But anyway, you're not you're not feeling the vibe. All good. Well, uh, last week's episode was hopefully helpful in terms of a bit of a recap for 2019. Today's episode is all about what to expect for the new year. Yes, yeah, so hopefully people enjoyed last the last one, and yeah, um, we've got some interesting thoughts I think coming up. We we do, and I mean, when I was thinking back to last year, I'm like. Wow, so much happened in in property and finance. Um, it could have easily been an hour long recording. Um, it's like, how do you top that? I, I think what's upcoming in twenty twenty might almost top that. Yeah. So, where do you want to start? What should we? What do you think people would be most interested in right now? All right. Well, t- maybe how we go about this is um, we just quickly summarize some of the key key points. Um, and then we'll break down each one in a little bit more detail. And I'm thinking beyond that, we even, on a couple of the bigger ideas, we, we put together dedicated um, articles for our, our audience to, to review in more detail. So that, that's the plan. Um, I guess the, the big ticket items are the first home loan deposit scheme, which has been announced by the government and is going to enable some borrowers to effectively get lenders' mortgage insurance for free could see a spark in first-home buyer activity off the back of that. Secondly, we want to talk about the possibility of um, further interest rate cuts in 2020 and how that might also impact house prices. Um, And then lastly, um, which we're learning more about, aren't we? Uh, Comprehensive credit reporting. Yep, Uh, open banking and how the lenders are now reviewing people's credit conduct, credit history, et cetera. So yeah, that's going to be an interesting one when we get to it. Alrighty, so why don't we just break them down in a bit more detail, uh, starting off with the, the first home loan deposit scheme. Um, introduced 1st of Jan 2020, what do you think the key, the key points are that our audience needs to know? Yeah, so I suppose this goes back to pre-election, Yep. when we had both parties making their promises on trying to stimulate the property market that was in a bit of difficulty at the time. Obviously, Labour had its issue, and the coalition came out with this scheme which would hopefully generate some um, positive news for first home buyers looking to buy who wouldn't need as big a deposit. Yep, exactly. So obviously there are a couple of um, uh, caps and, and, and restrictions that, that um, uh, relate to this. It's not like anybody that's in lenders mortgage insurance territory is just going to qualify. So do you want to talk about some of those um, key thresholds, Patty? Yeah, so I suppose a couple of them are, there are, it is limited in number, it's probably the big one. So I think there were 10,000 loans available. Yep. And most of those maybe have gone already, uh, but it was limited to see, okay, let's see how the scheme works, let's see what the interest is in the scheme, and then it can be decided whether it's rolled out, extended, etc. Yeah. Um, so and, and in terms of um, how those 10,000 spots are allocated, do you want to talk to that in a bit more detail? Uh, well, it tends to be allocated among some of the lenders. So likes of CBA and NAB uh, have got approval to use it. A lot of the non-Big Four lenders have also got approval, but 
it's allocated really on the basis of the flow of applications they receive. I think you yeah. done have done a bit more work on this. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the the two big banks, being CBA and NAB, both uh, effectively launched on the first of Jan twenty twenty. And that just meant that um, anybody that felt they were eligible could uh, effectively go onto those uh, banks' websites and apply. Um, and there was a, a quota that was allocated for, for, for the month of January, which has already been filled. Um, on the 1st of Feb, so in, in, in a week's time, um, NAB and CBA will open up a, a new um, quota of, of applicants that they'll consider. And in addition to that, there are uh, approximately 20 non-major bank lenders that will also be opening up their their spots. Um, but yeah, from what we've learned um, in dialogue with CBA and NAB, all of their January spots were were filled very quickly and, and none are currently available. So it's, it does appear to be quite a popular scheme. Um, and there's no doubt that that's going to boost confidence, particularly in the, the first home buyer market. Yeah, and I suppose the issues for those first home buyers are they tend to be quite young, uh, tend not to have generated a lot of savings. So meeting that 20%, 25% threshold without going into lenders mortgage insurance territory was always quite difficult. They might rely on parents for gifts or for additional security. So having this scheme available gives them that chance to get into the property market and probably will see the property market underpinned a bit more than We've seen in the last six months of 2019. Yeah, and and then in terms of the thresholds that I mentioned earlier, um, it, this at least in the state of Victoria, it's only relevant for people that are buying properties uh, at six hundred thousand dollars or below. And secondly, for individuals, um, individuals that are earning over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars per year uh, are not eligible. Um, and and there's another um, quote of. For, for couples that are applying for this, which we'll detail in our article. So worth a more detailed review if you are interested. Um, interest rates. Yes, speaking of interested, um, obviously <laughs> last year, 2019, and then the last podcast, we discussed how the Reserve Bank had reduced the official cash rate three times uh, down to, what are we now, 0.75? Yep, official cash rates at 0.75, and lowest on record. Even though the Reserve Bank hasn't met, didn't meet in January, for whatever reason, they obviously needed a holiday after last week's activity. Uh, it's due back first Tuesday in February, and there are certain expectations. Yeah, uh, so in in, in uh, Governor Lowe's final statement for 2019, he did uh, indicate that further rate, rate cuts could be on the horizon, which could mean that home loan rates will, will drop even lower in 2020. Um I guess due to global and, and, and domestic factors as well, it's it's um, reasonable to expect that an extended period of low interest rates um, are going to continue in Australia for the foreseeable future. Um, obviously, it's the you know the economists that that, that analyze that in in more detail than we do. There's plenty of information available out there, but yeah, I think the key point is that it's really consumer spending that that's probably lagging um, where the the, the Reserve Bank would like to see it, and that's just feeding into lower than ideal inflation and GDP figures. Um, so the idea there is that uh, monetary policy through lower interest rates can stimulate the economy by uh, making access to money cheaper and, and encouraging people to, 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 to spend more, um, which, which can have flow on benefits. Yeah, limited spending. I suppose wage growth has been an issue for a while. And we're maybe seeing some of that in some of the retail businesses that have shut down quite recently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I guess 
you know, what 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 the, the governor is talking about is that um, the Reserve Bank would be prepared to ease monetary policy further if needed to support sustainable growth um, in the economy, full employment and the, achieve, um, the achievement of their inflation target over time, which is still um, at the um, circa two and a half, three percent kind of level. Um, but it's probably worth a quick discussion on what other tools the, the RBA might have available and um, what the likelihood of them implementing some of these other um, solutions might be in, in the new year. Yeah, so I, I suppose I'll pull on my non-Australian hat here. Um, obviously, in Europe, we saw the DFC hit quite badly. The US saw the DFC hit quite badly. Australia was largely uh, immune to what happened. Uh, but what we saw with, for example, the European Central Bank or the Reserve Bank in the US was after they exhausted all of the interest rate cuts, they then found alternatives, one of which was QE or qualitative easing. So Dan, do you want to talk more about quantitative easing? Yeah, definitely. So um, colloquially known as money printing, um, QE is the, the process where central banks um, like the Reserve Bank of Australia, uses their cash reserves to purchase government bonds. Um, and the idea is that uh, they're pumping money directly into the financial system, which, which can increase asset prices. Um, like you said, it's previously been implemented by other countries overseas, um, and, and we can learn a lot from that. Um, but I think in, in Governor Lowe's view, uh, further rate cuts would still need to occur before the RBA considers quantitative easing. Yeah, but there is going to come a point if they do cut the rate again, say by a quarter percent, we're down to half percent. Really, the marginal effect of each rate cut is getting less and less, and people's expectations are that rates are going to keep reducing. It might be that he's got to find use another tool such as QE. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, um, because what what are the alternatives? I mean, um, there are countries overseas that have. Uh, explored the idea of negative interest rates. I, I think Japan uh, being probably the, the most prominent example. Um, if, if Australia went into a negative interest rate environment, the world of finance as we know it would completely flip upside down. Um, you know, savers would be paying the banks to hold their money and borrowers would essentially be earning money on the loans that they took out. And it's already happening in in Europe, where the official rate for the European Central Bank is negative, so effectively for the banks in Europe to lodge money with the ECB, they're having to pay for that privilege. It's seen as a safe place for their cash, but obviously the reason that ECB have done this is try to incentivize banks to lend more to stimulate economies. Mm. Um, also extremely difficult for the big banks to, to handle. Uh, the big banks um, have targets for, for um, return on equity, um, which is eff effectively the profit that they can generate from um, their shareholders' equity, and that sits at around 10 to 15%. If um, they are going to start earning less interest on uh, the loans that, that they have out there in the marketplace, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to maintain their profitability, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's an unhealthy place to, to be as well. So um, there's no question it's going to be futile to the bank's bottom line to, to um, you know, if, if interest rates were cut any further and, and, and that's going to be um, another factor as well. Um, and then probably fiscal policy, that, that's probably the, the other 
the other tool that uh, the RBA uh, and, and the government could explore to, to stimulate the economy. Yeah, and I think there's a bit of a disconnect between the two at the moment. Obviously, the coalition's been quite focused on having a budget surplus, so it's not spending, whereas the RBA are saying, well, we've done everything we can. One of the great ways to stimulate the economy is if the government puts money into infrastructure, building roads, schools, etc. That multiplier effect of money in the economy will flow on to people spending more money and so on. So it's a nice contrast between coalition and the Reserve Bank. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, arguably, that, that's what Rudd did very successfully throughout the global financial crisis, which, which meant that Australia uh, came out of that relatively unscathed. Um, so, you know, we do have a track record of implementing fiscal policy quite well. But, but then at the same time, I, I think the coalition is quite proud of its uh, budget surplus um, and, uh, you know, there, there are benefits there. But the, the key point, this can get quite complicated in economics and, 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 and whatnot. But, um, it, you know, we're definitely going to hear a lot of news stories about all of this in 2020 because it's a very fine line um, that the RBA is dealing with in terms of stimulating the economy. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen a rebound in house prices lately. We, we can't let that get out of hand either because, you know, we, we saw what happened there uh, towards the end of 17 when, when the market got out of control. Yeah, it's definitely the economy is, well, it's always one to watch, but certainly in 2020 with all of this stuff going on. And one thing which we haven't mentioned, we'll just briefly say, we don't know what effect the bushfire crisis is going to have. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's going to be quite a lot of rebuilding. There's going to be people who've lost homes, businesses, that could also influence what happens. Yeah. So, so let's talk about house prices. Um, there's, there's no doubt that, um, that the back half of 2019 saw a, a rebound and a recovery um, in, in, in the property market. Uh, I think the December quarter in, in Melbourne was the, the strongest um, uh, Melbourne quarter for over 10 years. It um, increased 6.1%, according to CoreLogic. Uh, so the question is, you know, can, can that price growth be maintained? But, um, you know, Melbourne and Sydney have, have now circa 50% made up for the, um, uh, the, the the correction between 17 and, and 19. Um, is that going to be fully recovered and, and might house prices soon even surpass the levels where they left off prior to the correction beginning? Well, from what you're saying, I mean, you mentioned CoreLogic and I'm looking at domain here. Most of that increase recently has been in the last quarter. And it's, we mentioned, I think, in the last podcast, the reason why the property market seems to be recovering, such as interest rates, availability of credit, etc. Um, if we're looking at interest rates reducing again, if we're looking at credit becoming more available, and we'll probably touch on that down yeah. when we get to comprehensive credit reporting, then that's going to be a stimulus for property. Yeah, no question. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, there's a lot out there by by the various commentators. Um, uh, QBE in its latest um, uh, housing outlook report predicts that all capital city property property markets in Australia are going to increase between 2019 and 2022, um, uh, with Brisbane being the the capital city to to be recording the highest rate of capital growth. So that'll be one to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly it, it does come down to the um, uh, well, a number of factors. We'll talk about the availability of credit in a second. Another one, which is probably worth mentioning, is what's happening in terms of uh, construction activity. 
because um, as a result of some of the um, restrictions that were imposed, a lot of developers really um, wound down their, their, their construction activity and pipelines. So now we've got this issue of demand is quite strong and there could be a, um, a, a demand supply imbalance because the amount of um, dwelling approvals and completions are, are down heavily from, from where they were at their peak. Uh, building always uh, is a lack behind what's happening in property. Obviously, if people see the property market increasing, it's going to start construction activity, but that's going to take time to get permits and plans and everything else together. So, yeah, you're right. Supply will be limited for new builds. Yeah. The data that we're looking at says um, building approvals fell by 19% in 2018 2019. And completions are forecast to fall to about 160,000 dwellings by um, next year. And that's down 22% from the average from five years ago. So with the population growth still expected to remain strong, clearly um, it's well below the underlying demand. And that could mean that some previously oversupplied markets will tip back into undersupply by, by 2021, 2022. Yep, interesting times. So, yeah. and, and just lastly, it's probably worth mentioning the... Um, you know, on supply, there are going to be more vendors that are bringing their, their properties onto mar- onto the market now with the stronger sales results that we've we've experienced. Um, and again, uh, more supply there um, might just mean that there's um, a, a, a pull back in the other direction, um, and 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 price growth could be constrained somewhat. So, lots of balancing factors, but but they're probably going to be the key talking points of 2020. Yeah, I think. We've always said it, and anyone who's looking to buy property, speak to the experts. Speak to us. Let's see if we can get you the pre-approval so you're ready. And I suppose let's go into what we see is maybe the biggest issue for people applying for finance. Yeah. So comprehensive credit reporting. If if you haven't heard about it, um, highly recommend looking into it. And if you have heard bits and pieces about it, but you don't really know what what the implications are going to be definitely pay attention here um, this is a a, a new phenomenon uh, it has been introduced very recently only a handful of banks have actually started um, implementing this in, in in terms of their assessment protocols and and whatnot we've just started um, uh, experiencing it with with a few live applications and and it's having some pretty significant impacts. So, Patty, do you want to just comment maybe on some of the things that um, a bank is now going to look at once they've implemented comprehensive credit reporting for their assessments? Yeah, so previously they would do credit checks, and we've obviously written quite a bit, you'll find on the website on that. Uh, But previously the credit checks were about negative reporting, so effectively telling people where you miss payments or where you're behind now we've got open banking it's more about positive so showing people your repayment profile over the last two years and showing where you've kept payments up to date but what that does do is it brings into more light anyone who's missed a payment who's and the missed payment down tends to be anything that's more than 14 days so yeah. I mean, but, but i think i think that's a clear distinction as well between missing a payment versus defaulting on your loan my understanding is that if a client just missed a payment, that may have, oh, sorry, like their, their loan had fallen into a small amount of arrears, that would not have shown on the old credit reporting that the banks did. Whereas whereas nowadays, it, 
you know, with this comprehensive credit reporting, it definitely will. So I, I suppose that there's more opportunity for the bank to see adverse conduct and that could negatively impact a client's loan application. Yeah, there's a lot more that people or the banks rather can now see on credit reports. Yeah. Um, so the, the key takeaway here is that um, there is far there is far more information available to the bank than they've ever had before. Um, so um, other examples of that are going to be things like um, every credit inquiry that a client has made to any credit provider within the last five years. At the moment, that's isolated to you know uh, bank loans, personal loans, car leases, credit cards, that type of thing. And soon it's also going to be updated to reflect utility um, provision as well. Um, other things like, um, you know, any active facility. So um, the days of any kind of non-disclosure and, and, and um, whatnot are, are definitely gone. The bank is going to be able to see every live credit facility that you currently have in place and the limits associated with them. So, you know, oh, I think my CBA credit card has a limit of 15 grand, but it's actually got a limit of 30 grand. The bank will know that. Um, the bank can even see when these limits have changed. So if, for example, you had a 50 grand limit and you reduced it to six grand the day prior to an application, the bank can see that as well. Um, and yeah, clearly this is going to lead to a whole bunch of new conversations that, that ultimately borrowers um, or borrowers via their brokers are going to be having with, with credit departments when, when they're looking at loan approvals. Yeah, I mean, it's what we're talking a lot there about potential negative effects. Obviously, there is a positive if you've got a clean record that you haven't been overly applying for finance, that you've met all the payments on any finance you have had. That's going to put you in a great position when you go to a bank to negotiate terms. But certainly, if you do have any issues, important that you be aware of them, that there are reasons for those and that they're quickly remedied. And, and, and just on that, in terms of the positive side, my wife and I just did a little test last night to see what our own personal credit files look like. Um, we're a couple, we've been married for almost 10 years and like we are the same effect, effectively. I, just, I would just assume, we've even worked together, we do the same, similar things for work. I would just assume that our credit profiles are identical, right? Turns out that Elise has got a slightly stronger credit profile than me because some of our like accounts are in her name so she's got a, a stronger history of repayments on for example that the credit card which which is in her name so so history um uh you know and 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 positive um performance in some of these credit facilities over a longer period of time can help your score ultimately all of this is feeding into like a score for every applicant and the banks are going to start imposing thresholds whereby if you're below a certain score, it could be an auto decline. Um, and it's extremely difficult to, to turn that around. Yeah, and let, I suppose looking at the reports we've seen recently, Dan, the key contributing factors to those scores are application patterns. So how many applications, the type, frequency, etc. cetera, uh, lack of or showing adverse uh, behavior. Um, clear and concise information, and then the account repayment history. Mm. And then, and you know, there's going to be a real delicate art to all this. Uh, I mean, in terms of really understanding what the bank's, um, you know, appetite is for, for for new business. 
um, and and their um, kind of tolerance for for certain aspects of this. For example, there might be a bank that sets a, a, a rule whereby it says, look, we're really just going to focus on the last six months only. There might be another bank that says any adverse conduct over the last 24 months is going to be a major red flag. So, you know, it, it's really just going to give the, the banks a lot more ammunition to, um, you know, open the floodgates or, or close them down in, in, in terms of, um, you know, volume of flows that they're permitting. And that, that's why it can also be super helpful to deal with a broker that's like, um, knowledgeable as to what each bank's position is with respect to this, so that if there are any potential flags, you know, we can help direct you to a bank that might be more, you know, accepting of your personal scenario. Yep. And not only all of that, but we also have a lot of credit inquiries now will show all business relationships. So if you're a director of a company or any entity such as that, it will show in this. So again, it's important that your broker knows what's your relationship. Are you a director? Are you a shareholder? Popular loss making? Mm. There's a lot there as well. And then, and then, so you know, final question to me would, would be: Is it, with all this new information, um, you know, is it going to slow the flow of credit? Is it going to be harder for people to to get loans if the banks know more about them? And 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 I guess I'm kind of working on the assumption that. You know, with, with less information, there's less queries to be asked and it's possible that things can be kind of, um, you know, swept under the rug, so to speak, a little. Um, but, but you know, uh, in terms of responsible lending, if the bank can see more, you know, is it just going to get more difficult to get finance? If it does, I'm not saying that it will, but if it does, um, you know, that, that would only have a drag on, on ultimately house prices, you would think. Yeah, I mean, personal cue uh, would be, Maybe as it's initially drawn out and banks start to see more on what's on reports, then yep, it could have a small drag. But I think what you're going to quickly see then is banks being more segmented in terms of, okay, well, this customer with this mm, profile mm. will get this great rate. This customer with a worse profile will get a worse rate and so on. Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of people are going to start taking um, much more interest in their personal credit files and scores and activity. And that's a good thing. It's definitely a good thing. And I mean, I don't know if people are aware, but everyone is entitled to a free credit report once every 12 months. So we certainly would recommend if you are interested, go have a look. Uh, we'll have links if you need. Uh, we've done articles on this before, so you'll find those links to do your own credit check. And, and I'll go one step further. We can actually download these um, for free on behalf of our clients. Um, it doesn't negatively affect their, their credit score or rating or, or, or whatever, just to download a free copy. Um, and we can actually go through it with our clients if they're concerned about any past activity and or we can just kind of provide an overlay as to how the banks are going to view some of, some of um, their activity over the last two years, five years or whatever. We've gone way over time, Patty. Yeah, it's been a good conversation. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's try and break some of this down in a bit more detail in some articles. And obviously, if anyone's got any queries, feel free to reach out. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Long Property Show. If you have any questions for Dan or Patty, you can email hi at longproperty.com.au and they'll respond within 24 hours. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and also leave us a review. This way we can continue bringing you the best weekly content possible. See you again next week. Bye for now.